Hey, I want to do one more thing on just specifically moms, and then I'm going to get into this thing which all relates to moms. And if you're not a mom, you're a man, or you're not a mom, it's going to be full of God's Word and application. But these are called mommalies. I want to see how smart y'all are. Those kids just make fun of you because they are jealous. That's right. Your mom didn't say because you're weird. She just said because they're jealous. Okay. I'm starving. And your mom would say something to this effect. You can thank the Lord. You don't know what starving is, son. Yeah, I've heard that one. Eat all of your carrots. You'll be able to see in the dark. Went too good, was it? All right, here you go. Keith, don't sit too close to the TV. It'll yeah, make you blind and it'll ruin your eyes. Yeah, yeah. so you heard that. Your, your mom, she went to school with my mom. Don't run with a stick or it'll poke your eye out. I mean, I never know anybody that poked their eye out running with a stick, but it's a great concept, and I understand it. Now, this, this is my favorite. I understand it. I didn't understand it as a kid. I just thought, man, that's just embarrassing. Always put on clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Yeah, whatever. I'm thinking about them in an accident. We're going to have bigger things than if I got clean underwear on or not. You know what I'm saying? No, that's just, anyway. Uh, here, here's one. Use your indoor... <laughs> oh, y'all heard that at your house too, huh? You know, I'm a preacher... So that means I can magnify my voice and I speak loudly. And sometimes Donna goes, take it down a notch. I mean, we're in a restaurant and I'm so excited. I'm telling her a story. And I didn't realize everybody in the restaurant stopped what they were doing to hear my story. But I was talking about you. So she says, take it. No, no, I wasn't talking about you. It was just, you know, it just the indoor voice. Or here, here, here's a classic mom. I'm going to give you one word. I want to say how smart you are. Because, I, I'm telling you, man, I know Eve created that one. Because I said so, Adam. Yeah, I don't know. Just Hey, weren't those fun? Mama Lee's. All right. And you, you could email me once, and we may be use some next year. I don't know. But I just thought it would be a fun way to uh, start our time together. Today I'm going to speak from Galatians. There's a, a focus verse. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We're going to look at a few verses in Galatians today. But before I get there, I want to tell you about a guy named John Abruzzo. You've probably never heard of John Abruzzo. John Abruzzo was a young man that worked in New York. And at 8.45 in the morning, he was doing his job as he consistently daily did. It was September 11th, and a horrific deal happened to his office building. The office broke out in confusion and pandemonium for John his tower, the North Tower, had been hit. You probably remember where you were that day. All his colleagues and friends were fleeing for safety to save their lives. They turned around and they saw John Abruzzo. They had a decision to make. People were running and screaming for their lives. And John Abruzzo sat there in a wheelchair with nobody to help him out. His closest employees, his colleagues, turned around and they saw him and they thought, we've got a decision to make. We'll risk our lives or we'll just go on and forget. Let me tell you, I forgot to tell you, John Bruzo 
was six foot four, 250 pounds. One of the office people had to look for a sled to put him on. The sled weighed 150 pounds. For all you math majors, 250 and 150 equals what? 400 pounds. Seven men and one woman had to carry John Abruzzo 69 flights of stairs down. It was crazy. As they were going down, it was rough and worse and worse. And about the 20th floor, a second plane hit a tower. Pandemonium, just craziness. Passerbys would just run by with no respect for their friend they were carrying. They finally made it to the floor. Everybody was gone except one firefighter came in and said this. Run for your life, like they didn't know. They carried their sled of their friend, and they carried him two and a half blocks to a nearby church. And John Abruzzo's life was spared. True story. And I think it's a great way to move us into the focus verse today. Look in your Bibles with me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. The word of the Lord says in the NIV, it goes, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Another translation, I believe the NIV says, carry one another's burdens. The one you see on the screen is bear one another's burdens from the New American. Share, carry, bear one another's burdens is a scriptural principle and command for all of us this morning afterwards john didn't know how to express himself he said thank you just doesn't seem like enough y'all literally risked your life to save mine jesus said it this way what greater love has one than they would lay down their life for another john abruzzo's friends laid their lives down for him to help carry him to safety because they believed in this principle of carrying burdens. If you back up in Galatians, we're there in the sixth chapter, but if you back up to Galatians 5, just one page over, in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through, keyword love. That's today's message. Love does. Love is active. Love participates love is devoted love is committed just like the friends were for john abruzzo and in this i, I love what it says in galatians 5 13 if you just go down a few verses it says for you were called to freedom brethren not only to turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh but through through what love serve one another i, I love that love five 14. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We could go through, we won't today, all the scriptures that say love or love one another. It's a, it, it's a theme of God. It's the theme of the Father. How do we love? How do we act? How do we operate? And I thought, Mother's Day. Man, do you know a greater example now? Maybe you had the most amazing mom, the most endearing mom, the most selfless mom, or maybe, maybe you had a selfish mom. You had a mom that had all kinds of issues. I don't know, 
But just for the general concept, moms are amazing. And the church said, amen. You know, my mom, I lost at nine years of age. Lost my stepmom a couple years ago. I adopted Donna's mom into be my mom many years ago. I love that woman. So today when I got up, I'm thinking, man, I still got a mom. And maybe you got a mom. And now my daughter is a mom. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's cool when you get to be a grandparent. You get to watch your kids be moms. And I watch, and she's taking so many cues from her earthly mom because her mom's been a wonderful example, a treasure, and we're, I'm grateful for that. I, I don't know about you. I, I just tell you one thing. I'm going to embarrass her, but that's okay. I'll, I'll make it right this afternoon. I, when I was growing up, birthdays weren't a big deal. I don't know if you lived in that home. They just, they just weren't a big deal. Christmas is big, but birthdays are like, hey, you're a year older. Hey, have a good day. When I married Donna, oh my goodness, birthdays are huge. They're government holidays. You have parades. I mean, it was awesome. And I bought into that. And I'm so glad I did. And man, my birthday was big. Her birthday's big. Our kids, it was big. Oh my goodness, our grandkids. We got the president coming this year. It's, it's amazing. No, not really. But birthdays, they're big deals. And, and I've learned that example, man, about celebrating life all the time, every day. And all the church said, I want to live at your house. I can't afford you, okay? I'm just going to tell you. All right, let's get back to this. Two questions today. What does the law require? See, I'm a pastor, so people are always asking me, what does the Torah, what does the law say? What does it require of me? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get into heaven? See, people are always asking me for loopholes. You have a CPA. You go to your CPA, and if you pay a lot of money, you pray. I hope you're good. You need to save me some money. Do you know any loopholes? And they go, yes, yes, yes. These are ethical. These are unethical. These are legal. These are kind of, whenever they go, this is questionable. You ought to run. Just thinking. We have a federal prison here called Maxwell, but I remember one time I said, you know, we've had good accountants at Christ Community over the years, and I said, you know, I always want to make sure we do things proper with integrity and ethics, and I don't want to go to Maxwell. And the guy turned to me one day and says, it is no problem. You don't even come close to making enough money to go to Maxwell, so don't worry about it. I said, well, that's good. But I don't know about you. I don't want to go to any prison. How about you? Galatians talks about earlier, Christ died to set us free. So here's this whole thing about love. And so what does the law require? And then let me get you to feel in the next one. What does love require? See, love supersedes. Love trumps the law. How many of you are glad that we live in an age of grace and that you want to know and express the love of Christ versus the law of Christ? Yeah, the law of God, I mean, that's good, and it shows our sin and our need for a Savior, but this love thing is like, Lord, I want to know what the love requires. I want to express that. Lord, I want to turn my gaze from myself to you. I want to turn the gaze from myself to others. I want to turn my gaze from whatever to expressing it through a life filled with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus gave this principle and this practice. Matter of fact, if you'd write down Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. It's not in your notes. It won't come up. Luke 7, 36 through 39. I want you to hear this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wet them or wiped them with her hair. She kissed them, and she poured perfume all over the feet of Jesus. 
When the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, for she is a sinner. I don't know about you, I'm not crazy about Pharisees. How about you? And the truth is, sometimes I practice some Pharisee, Pharisee behavior in my own life. I don't know if you do, maybe not. And Jesus is not impressed with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees when you read Scripture. He's not impressed with me when I'm religious and have a lot of pretense and I don't have his heart. You read that, and in Eastern context, it seems a little strange, but there's great devotion. Jesus exemplifies, Jesus expresses the love of the Father to us. Here, they're trying to express, this woman's expressing love because she has, she's a woman with issues. She's a woman with a past. Does anybody here have a past? No, wait a minute, it's not rhetorical. Does anybody in this room have a past? Are you grateful for the blood of Jesus that covers your past? Amen. And yet, here they are, man, they're trying to hurl rocks at her. Matter of fact, John 8, woman caught in adultery. She's incredibly burdened with her sin. She's the downcast of the community. And Jesus, I love what Jesus says. He just goes, woman, where are your condemners? Well, they're not here. You see, earlier, Jesus had knelt down in the sand, and the Bible doesn't say, but he wrote something in the sand, and they scattered. I think he wrote their names down in the sand. They were guilty of sin. There was something going on. He says, so now go, woman, and sin more. It's not what he says. He says, now, woman, go and sin no more. Be free. You could even call this today, man, just being set free. Moms help us to learn about being free in Christ if they're godly moms. They, they teach us the gospel. They live the gospel. They have a genuine love for us. We have a genuine love for each other. Grace always gives us freedom in relationships. Just write that on the side. Grace gives you and I freedom to love others, to have freedom, and to express love. I mean, we all have people that we probably don't love as much as we do others. We might even use the word hate, and that's sin or we dislike them, maybe they're not on the top of our list. I understand all that. But Jesus is this grace, grace, greater grace. It expresses itself in love. In Galatians 5.25, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And you claim to be follower of Christ today, do you? So if you live by the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit. Walk of the Spirit. Walk filled with the Spirit clothed with the compassion and kindness and the love of Christ. Lord, that, that's what I want. Lord, here Paul is addressing false teachers that have infiltrated the synagogue, the churches, and, and they're trying to make it all about legalism and law and ritualistic and legalistic. It, it, it's, ugh, it's not very fun. And Jesus is coming to give us grace. He's coming to give us love. He's coming to express that. He's coming to tell them there, there's another path. It's a path that leads to my Father. It's a path to His heart. It's a path that I want you to follow. It's a path that I want you to emulate. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to bear the truth of the gospel in my name, in my strength. Lord, that's good. And then, if, I'm still over here in Galatians 5. I'm coming back to 6. I really am. But Galatians 5, verse 26, I want you to see this. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, this is the New American translation, but, but I want to read another one to you from the NIV. Let us not become conceited. Write down in your notes today, conceited. 
provoking and envying one another. You know, have you ever said to somebody or been said to you, man, you're incredibly conceited. You're stuck on yourself. You're, you have a big head. You're, you're puffed up. You're just, you have an excessive favorable opinion of yourself. Now, I'm going to ask anybody if that's ever happened to you. You have an inflated ability of your own abilities and your accomplishments and your achievements and you're self-centered and your whole earth, your whole life revolves around you. And this, and this Paul says, don't be boastful, don't be conceited, don't, don't be this person. This isn't what love does. It's what the world does. It's what fleshly, carnal people do. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Don't, I love this word, don't be narcissistic. Don't, don't be these things. Be like Christ. Now, I just want you to do inventory in your heart. I want you to go in your heart. I want the Holy Spirit to search you and go, am I conceited? Was I conceited this week? Is, is, there, is there somewhere I'm conceited and that's block the witness of christ man it's a place matter of fact i want to go ahead and tell y'all i never do this and i'm sorry but but i want you to know because some people take this so seriously next sunday morning i'm teaching on communion i don't do that very often we do communion but every once in a while i'm teaching next week there's going to be a special experience that's all i'm going to tell you but we're having holy communion in this room i want you to begin preparing your heart right now somebody went pastor thank you it's going to take me all week to get ready okay just thought I'd tell you that next weekend, communion, bring somebody with you. I think it'll, it'll be a table of the service, a uh, service of the table. Yeah, service of the table. There we go. All right, here we go. All right, now look at here. In one translation in the old King James, it goes, don't have vainglory. If I go, don't, have, don't be vainglory, don't have vainglory, you're like, that ain't working for me. Does vainglory work for anybody else? I mean, sometimes, in, and I, I love the King James, and it's not the original. I, I know people want to go, oh, it's the original. It is not. It's Greek and Hebrew, okay? But this is just a translation. But when we say vainglory, it, it doesn't get there. Because see, a lot of times Greek words, not a lot of times, most of the time, Greek words don't translate into English very well. Because Greek is extremely exact, precise. And so it's hard. And that's why you have to read all these things to try to figure out, okay, oh, this is what he's saying. This, is, this was a flavor. But right here, kenodoxa, empty glory. It means deep insecurity leading to a need to prove my worth to myself and others. Do we not all go there sometimes that we need to prove ourselves? See, walking with Christ is not about performance. It's already been done at the cross. Walking with Christ is about a relationship with him. But in our flesh, a lot of times we want to prove our value, our worth. We want to have performance. And I've been caught up in that many times myself. And God's like, no, that, that's, that's empty. Glory, vacuum. We feel empty of glory. Remember when I taught you what glory means? Glory means weight. God is heavy. God is matter. And when we're empty of glory, it means we have no weight. We don't really matter like we should. But then we want to try to find a way to prove ourselves to somebody. So maybe they'll like us or respect us or have us home for dinner or do something. And then he, so he goes from this word conceit. Then look at the next word, provoking. Now, I'm just curious. Is anybody in here good at provoking but me? Now, you, you, you're killing your preacher. You're just leaving out here all by myself. Okay. I'm not proud of that, but I know how to provoke. I don't want to provoke, but I provoke. Sometimes you provoke. And, and provoking here is it incites to anger and resentment. It taunts. Provoking sometimes is a way that you provoke and you look down on another. It's, it's always sinful. Don't be conceited. Don't be a provoker. And don't have this envy. Now, some of you probably struggle with envy and envy is just a feeling of grudging 
of what somebody else has, it's a cousin to being uh, covetousness, that you're, uh, you're discontent because you don't have what they have and you want their possessions for yourself. It's a desire to have what they have and you want to possess that and you want to control that. And the other thing is envy. You, you begin to, uh, a lot of times, it's inferiority. And you, you look down on yourself. And you're inferior. I mean, people all the time, they're puffed up, they're, they're cocky, or they're incredibly inferior. They're both forms of pride. They're both sinful. They both don't give glory to Christ. And the church said, I don't know if some of you are like, man, I'm just, man, I'm just conceited. I'm puffed up. Well, don't, you can ask somebody if you want to later. They'll probably tell you. Uh, li- listen to this. I-, I think this is a great deal about provoking and envying. Provoking. I have a superiority mindset. Envying. I- I'm an inferior person. I have that mindset. Provoking. I tend to blow up rather quickly. Envying. I tend to clam up because my opinion is not as important as yours. Provoking. I pick arguments. Envying, I avoid confrontation because what I have to say really doesn't matter. Provoking, I tend to judge somebody harshly. Envying, I'm intimidated around certain people, and it's still a form of pride. Provoking, I attack when criticized. I come after them. Envying, I'm discouraged easily. I'm defensive. Provoking, I can never be that stupid. (laughs) Then when you get to envying, I could never be that awesome. See what I'm saying? See how they just they fight each other? And, and basically Paul just goes, I don't want you to have this. I want love to do something. Love, love is the champion of the gospel. Love carried Jesus to the cross. Love carries us to do the things. Don't be this other person. Be free to love others. There's, there's a quote here from a great writer. His name's Tim Keller. And it's going to come up on the screen. Only the gospel of grace, this good news of Jesus, can make you bold without pride and humble without self-disdain. J- just leave it on the screen for a minute. I-, I just love that quote. It's like, you know, a lot of times like, oh, I'm a very humble person. Well, if you're telling people you're humble, you don't even know what humble means. It's one of those things, you know, humble, it's kind of like your underwear. Um, uh, you know, it's indecent if it shows. You know, if you're telling people about it, anyway, just think about that for a minute. That might mess you up the rest of the day. I don't know. I don't know why I'm getting all these underwear quotes today. It's like, you know, change your underwear, you know, whatever. All right, here, let's keep going. This is not good. Okay. Let me say this about grace. Love is identity with Jesus. Love is having identity with Abba, Father. Love is embracing the Father above. Love is having relationship with God. Love is about pursuing him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving him with every fiber of your being. That's the love God's calling us to here. But here, if you'll just see, there's three actions I just want us to see. We're finally back over in the first cha- sixth chapter, 6-1. Six, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So the whole premise here is restore the fallen. That is gospel. See, our world, we love to criticize, we love to annihilate, we love to judge, we love to put out. But Jesus says, love does this. Love restores 
a repentant brother and sister. Love restores the fallen. Is that good news for anybody today? To know that when you mess up, God has a desire to restore you. Oh, you've not messed up very bad, I can tell. Last week I was in California at the Thrive Conference with my friend Ron Haupt from the new CEO, president of Go International. I wanted to expose him to the West Coast, a great leadership conference, and make contacts for our mission organization that we're support here heavily and uh we had i got to hear francis chan live again that was amazing nancy beach god used that woman to minister to my soul i'm just on and on but then ray just threw a wrinkle in there just he loves to create tension points and when i say this some of you gonna get mad okay he had a guy he says in the morning we're gonna have a special guest and he had a guy that came up and i've never seen him this humble because that's not a strength of his but he's he's really an incredible brain and his name is Mark Driscoll. Now, I'm not here to judge Mark Driscoll. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The whole Mark had the huge Acts 29 network. Mars Hill has led so many thousands of people to Christ. They've, they've started 400 churches, and the whole thing's gone south. And not because he was having an affair with women or money and everything. It was some arrogance and pride and all these issues that he had confessed. But the thing was, they had him there in a group of about 3,000 people partial of a thing of, of just restoring and a lot of godly pastors went and prayed over him and i just felt like i saw i saw grace and i saw restoration all i'm saying to you is sin hurts community sin is horrible i, I want us to talk about that but i want you to know there's a time when we repent and we confess and we might have to live with the consequences all the rest of our life but then i'm so glad that the grace of jesus can restore us and somebody needs to hear this message today you've sinned against your mate and my prayers that God can restore. I have people over the years that come to me and they've had infidelity and they've bailed out on their mate, men and women. And I love that I can stand there as a preacher of the gospel and say, you can be restored in Jesus Christ. I'm praying that God can restore your marriage. Is that good news, church? I'm telling you, if you're a sinner, you like to hear stuff like that. If you're real religious, you're like, I don't like that. I just want to judge people and slice them in Jesus' name. You know, like, oh, whatever. See, I think the church sometimes is sunk. It stinks. It's bad. It's beat up. And I'm praying that we, when he talks about restore, it's, it, they use the term in the New Testament, mending fishing nets, healing broken bones. I got a question for y'all. How many of you, uh, how many of you have ever had a broken bone before? Raise your hand. I mean, hold them high. I just want to look. I, I'm holding mine up. Okay. Now put those down. How many have had more than one? Raise your hand back up. Okay. Now put that back down. How many have had more than two? Put that up. All right, let's go pray for y'all right now. No, okay. I, I don't know. Restoring. You don't just let anybody set your bone, do you? You don't go, you know what? I think that I'm going to go to a dermatologist to get my bone set. What would be worse is go to your car mechanic and go, you know what? My foot's kind of twisted like this. Could you, like, could you straighten it out? You're crazy. Can I just tell you? That, that's, that's idiotic. And you know what? Jesus wants to restore us. He needs attention. Um, it, it's just a beautiful thing. Being sensitive to the Spirit. <laughs> sensitive to the... Oh, okay. I was like, that was awesome, man. I was like, whoa! Holy Spirit. Hey, am I still on? Yeah, okay, good. That, that was kind of cool. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, I think God just does that just to tell me, he's like, I just want you to know, I'm all over this. Okay. When a fellow believer stumbles and falls into sin, 
Rather than pointing, accusing fingers or shooting the wounded, we should reach down and give them a helping hand and lift them back up. This is what this whole thing is in Galatians 6. Restore the fallen. When we fall, we need somebody to bear our burden and to lift us up. It's a heavy weight, and we can't do it on our own. So, Lord, we, we, we want to show care, and then we want to bring control that we're willing to bear this with our friend. I mean, we're to be responsible and to live a life for Christ, but then sometimes we, we, people help us up. We all have burdens. Would everybody in this room agree they have a burden? Okay. Is everybody here breathing? Okay. you got a burden. And burdens are hard, and sometimes burdens are difficult, and they're hard to lift, and they're spiritual, and they're financial, and they're emotional, and they're relational, and there's all kind of burdens. And I'm just praying, God, make this a place where people get burdens lifted. And see, a lot of times, like, I don't have any burdens. That's called unreality. That's called you're in denial. You need help? We all have burdens. I'm glad that the church is a safe place. How about you? See, I don't understand why this place doesn't pack, and there are not thousands that come out here, because my heart is, is to preach the liberating news of the gospel that people are finding freedom in Christ, and they're finding broken people that are messed up, that are finding healing in Jesus, and they're calling their friends to follow Christ. Amen? And that's a church that I want to be a part of. You're like, well, I just want a church that seems kumbaya, and, and they, they're not quite as committed, and, 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 and you're not so passionate. Well, okay, I guess you could do that. It's just not who I am. Bearing burdens. Man, I, I'm just trying to drive this today because I think it's a carry, bear one another's burdens. Um, here it is, a great song that I used to sing in student ministry. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your... Friend, and I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody. Oh, come on. Lean on me. Come on, Jeff, play it. No, you know what I'm saying? Lean on me. I I started to get Jeff to play it today. I thought, I've been to the West Coast. They're going to think I'm weird. Okay, but I love that song. I mean, the spiritual truths of that is I need somebody. How many of you turn to somebody and say, I need somebody? Just turn to the person next to you. Now, if you're single, that's a little scary. Like, I need somebody. Now, that's a little needy, okay? But you just turn to somebody and say, I need somebody. I need somebody. Are we in a place that needs somebody? The goal of the Christian life is to need somebody. Man, Lord, thank you for that. Look at the next one. Restores the fallen. Secondly, it helps the hurting. I got so far ahead of myself, but we restore the fallen. I've been talking about helping the hurting. That's what Galatians talks about. Love does what? Love helps people. It helps people that are fractured. It helps people that are down. It puts the salve, the ointment of healing, the balm of Gilead. It brings it to pass in a person. And the third thing is here, love does this. It repents, it repents of pride. And I know a lot about pride in my own life. I don't know what all you know, but spiritual pride is a, an insidious enemy to my soul and to yours. And we have to guard against pride if we want to be like Jesus. And if we want to really love, then we've got to go, Lord, I need to have that. We should fear because spiritual pride is a constant, steadfast, insidious danger to the body of Christ. And it always comes. It comes when you're tired. It comes when you're refreshed. And it comes to the young and it comes to the old. But pride is just there. And we've all struggled with pride. Maybe we were struggling with pride this morning. Maybe we were struggling with pride yesterday. And we're prone if we're honest, we're prone to compare ourselves with other people, and that's just another sense of pride. 
I struggle all the time comparing my ministry, my life to others. I'm grafted in. I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm valued. I'm accepted to the Father by Jesus. I know those truths. I practice. I rehearse those. I pray those. But then I have this part in my flesh that I have to battle comparing. And, and you, if I don't know, maybe you struggle with comparing too. Maybe you don't. Man, that's awesome if you don't ever compare yourself to somebody else. That, that, that's beautiful. You're down the road. I could give you, let me just give you some scriptures about self-deception. I don't have time to cover. I just want you to write down Isaiah 16, 6. It talks about we've heard of Moab's pride, how great is her arrogance. I want you to write down Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 16. The terror you inspire and the pride of your heart have deceived you. I want you to write down 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. In verse 4, he says, They are conceited and they understand nothing. See, love, listen, love does. Love restores the fallen, it helps the hurting, and thirdly, it helps one repent of pride. That's what love does. Matter of fact, today, this is a great book. Donna got it a year or so ago. I understand I'm going to hear him next year live. I'm looking forward to it. Bob Goff, Love Does. It's a great book. It's just all these stories that will encourage your faith. And I was just saying, man, that's a great title for our sermon today. Mother's Day, Mother Does. Mother Loves. Christian Does. Christian Loves. And we could go on and on. The, the quote's going to come up. To love like Jesus is to live like Jesus. So I'm praying today, you're saying, you know what, I'm going to love like Jesus. I just want to love like him because I'm going to live like Jesus. And when I fall down, I pray I get back up. And when I fall down, I pray there's somebody that's going to help bear my burdens, and they're going to carry me, and they're going to lift me back up. But I'm going to get into love does. So this bottom line here, just write it in, the biggest problem in relationships is personal pride. So if you're struggling this morning in relationships, just ask yourself, has pride crept in? Has pride become a block, an obstacle. The good news is Jesus can fix that today. I'm going to give you a few quotes from Bob Goff, and we're going to pray. I'm going to land this plane. You're going, thank you, Jesus. It seems that what God does most of the time when he has something to say is this. He doesn't pass us messages. Instead, he passes us each other. I like that. God puts people in our lives to influence us. A second quote, God asks what it is he's made us to love. What it is that captures our attention. What feeds that deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the richness of the world he made. And then, leaning over us, he whispers, let's go and do that together. I love that we have a God that is not abandoning us. And the last quote, you know what it is about someone that makes them a friend? A friend doesn't just say things. A friend does. Isn't that a great quote? A friend doesn't just give me a bunch of lip rhetoric. A friend does. Yesterday, I was with, uh, outside of my wife, my best friend that I met when I was five years old. I was with him yesterday at the lake. And we have a constant love and prayer for one another. And he shows me this as well as anybody I know. I want to do for him, he does for me. It's just, we don't go, ah, let's just talk about love. Let's just talk about stuff. We do stuff. It's awesome. You have those relationships with others. Love does. 
So this morning, it's kind of a different kind of Mother's Day message, but I, but I think it'll speak to our hearts. Has anybody been encouraged today? I'm encouraged. How about you, church? Yeah, let's love. It does. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, you are mighty in this place. And Lord, we need you. And we're overwhelmed by your grace. And Lord, the Bible says that Jesus carried a burden when he picked up his cross. The Bible says that he bore all our burdens and griefs to bear. And Jesus died to set us free. We're grateful for that, Lord Jesus, what you've done for us. And Lord, the scripture teaches that when you were too weak to carry the cross, there was one, Simon Cyrene, that came to bear the burden, to help carry the cross to Calvary. And Lord, today, I pray in this place, in this moment, people would say, you know what? I need to deny myself, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus. Is that your prayer today? That's what it means to be a Christian. Deny yourself, confess your sin, turn from your sin, and receive Christ and follow him out of here, saying, Lord Jesus, cleanse me by your blood and be my Lord. Take over. Take control. Lord, help us to receive grace today that we don't deserve. Help us to surrender our will and our pride to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.